We're very blessed uh, tonight to have Reverend Alicia Dring with us. Uh, Alicia may be familiar with some of you from uh, time at All Saints at Sawley and uh, quite often came along to our Sawley outreach in the evening and uh, shared God's word, word with us. And I wasn't always there, but I always listened to the podcast and it was always a, a word of encouragement and inspiration. So I'm really excited uh, to hear tonight what Alicia's uh, got on her heart from God. So I'm going to invite Alicia up once again and let's give her an Oasis welcome once again. And uh, ask my mum, Janet, if she'd come and pray. That'd be wonderful. Heavenly Father, we thank you that tonight we know that we're going to hear your word. Lord, we want, just want to see you glorified. We want to see you lifted high. And Lord, as, as Alicia speaks your word, Lord, we pray that we might just hang on to what she says and that we might just rejoice because you are being lifted high in this church. And so, Lord, bless Alicia. Lord, give us open hearts to hear her, her words tonight. Just bless her. Amen. Amen. Lovely. Good to see you. Uh, some of you will have seen me before, some of you won't, uh, but it's lovely to be here. Thank you uh, to Janet for inviting me and Adrian and Andrew. Thank you. Um, uh, we, uh, we have a damson tree in our garden and uh, a friend of ours came uh, to get some damsons and she was chatting away and chatting away and chatting away and chatting away and I'm watching the clock tick. Uh, and in the end, we legged it out the door and I managed to pick up my sermon and pick up my iPad and I left my Bible behind. <laughs> so I'm grateful to Janet for lending me her Bible. So uh, my translation is slightly different, but uh, we're looking at John 15, the vine and the branches. So if you've got your Bible with you and you want to follow, then please do. Other than that, please uh, listen. John 15. I am the true vine... And my father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes. And he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself... Unless you, unless it remains on the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you. Ask whatever you want, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Amen. So, nice, chunky, meaty bit of scripture. So, we left Sawley in 2013, not long after we got married, and we went to Littleover, uh, to a vicarage, that has a wild and expansive garden. It goes on for miles. Um, 
But at the front, we've got a real tangle of different plants. We were, the church were very generous. They gave us some money when we arrived. And we spent the money getting the hedge taken out at the front so that everybody could see the house, see into the office. So I sit in the, in the window of my office, spending a lot of the day waving at people, particularly the kids who go to the school across the road. But all sorts of things going on. We have pots by the front door that, oh my goodness, that's another job to redo for the winter. And then there's the grass. The grass was never very looked after. And when we arrived, it was kind of a bit like elephant country, really. It was up here. And they'd not cut it for a whole year. The vicarage had been empty and nobody had cut it. And a friend of mine came and cut it. And it took him, what did we work it out? 12 hours to cut all the grass. It was mad. So we have an ongoing battle with moss in our lawns. Uh, The moss makes everything look lush and green and gorgeous. But when you try and walk across it, you sink in a good couple of inches um, and uh, can make it a bit hazardous. And the problem was, was that my brother and his now wife were having their wedding reception in our garden, on our lawn. You know what ladies wear, don't you, at weddings? And I thought, they're just going to disappear. So we best sort it out. So we worked very hard on the garden, trying to make the grass look lush and gorgeous for when all the guests came. And we bought some seed, weed and feed. Have you ever bought any of that? It's marvellous. It's supposed to seed the grass, weed the grass, feed the grass. Well, it did some of it. Well, actually, the tonne bag of moss that we managed to scarify just out of the front lawn was good. But then the weeding did a bit of killing off, but the seeding didn't really do anything. And I don't know what happened to the feeding. And it, it, well, maybe we shouldn't have given it a second go because we ended up with some big black patches. But what we ended up with was a lawn that started very quickly to look very sorry for itself. You know the point when the gardener comes and sucks his teeth and goes, well, a bit more grass seed, hopefully it'll come back. Well, that was our hope. And then came the hottest, driest summer for a very long time. And all the grass, wherever we went, um, just withered. And it was a bit like walking across a floor of Rice Krispies. Do you remember that? It just kind of went crunch, crunch, crunch under your feet. You need to know that the wedding all went very well. A few ladies did sink into the grass, but I was past caring by then. When we do something drastic to our trees and our shrubs and our lawns, We hope and pray that in our innocent enthusiasm that we haven't actually killed it forever. That it will come back. Maybe it will even come back better than before. Because that's what our experience shows us, mostly. A hard prune or a pollard looks very drastic. But it will be good for the plants in the end. It certainly worked for our apple and damson trees. We picked those today. The apples were the biggest we've ever seen them. They look amazing. Uh, and the damsons are doing all right. There may be not as many as there were last year, but it'll come back next year. It was great, marvellous. But this is what our Bible story tells us. That the vine is pruned so that it will bear more fruit. And the branches that don't bear fruit will wither and die and be put into the fire. In fact, the vine metaphor is such that those who heard Jesus speak would have known that on every vine there are branches that do bear fruit and branches that don't. And those that don't are specifically cut back to ensure that all of the plant's energy goes into creating the best fruit. And the cut-off wood for the vine, well, it's pretty much good for nothing, or is it? You make a bonfire with it and you burn it, but what happens at the end of a bonfire? Ash. What do you do with ash? 
you put it back around the bottom of the plant, don't you? And so God takes what looks like is good for nothing and makes it good for something. That's interesting. But it also says that the good branches are also pruned in order to train the vine to get the best crop. Now, the thing that struck me when I read this very familiar passage, many of us will know this passage very well, is that Jesus is the one who gets pruned first. Did you notice that? It says, every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes. I'd never noticed that before. Wow. Even Jesus gets pruned. Well, how do you think that works back? Because we know that Jesus was without sin. So what's not producing fruit? Why does he need to be pruned? Maybe this is about Christ's humanity. The divine is set aside, maybe, while the fully human part of him surrenders to what the Father needs to do. Maybe to help him to do what he needs to do later in his ministry when he goes to Calvary. Who knows? So what do you think are the human bits in Jesus that don't bear fruit? Do you know, I think there's a huge danger we could get massively sidetracked. So let's stick to the point. If Jesus is the vine and we are the branches, then it is us that is pruned when we are in Christ. He's the vine and we dwell in him as the vine. Now, the vine analogy was used throughout the Old Testament as a metaphor, a description for the nation of Israel. Now, um, some of you will know your Old Testament really well. Who knows your Old Testament really well? Who's a bit, well done, who's a bit dodgy on the Old Testament? Ah, well, my, my picture of the Old Testament is this. God, we love you. You're amazing. Oh, we can't be bothered. We've just wandered off over here. Oh, God, we're really sorry. We think you're amazing. Oh, we've lost the plot and we've wandered off over here. That's kind of pretty much how it goes. And Israel, in Isaiah, in the Old Testament, he talks about planting a vineyard as a picture for Israel. A fertile hillside, the ground is cleared of stones, it's planted with the choicest of vines. That's all the good things that God wants to give to Israel. And God looks for a crop of good grapes But this vineyard yields only bad fruit, or in some translations, it refers to it as wild grapes. God's relationship with the people of Israel was one of great love, provision, and disobedience. We can produce good fruit, illustrating the health of our relationship with God, or we can produce bad fruit or wild fruit as a reflection, maybe, of the absence of God in our lives. Okay, so Old Testament is before Jesus comes. Jesus comes and offers a new covenant. And Jesus, in this story, is the true vine. The time for a new start. Because the promise is that when we root ourselves in Christ into the centre of God's true vine, we are no longer having to sustain our relationship with God out of our own strength. Jesus is the mainstay. He is the vine. We are called to grow within the compass of his love and care and support, not to try and make it on our own. Do we do that? Most of the time, do we sometimes lose the plot? Okay, let me offer you another gardening illustration. If you plant a a climber with no trellis, it will grow, 
but not necessarily where you would hope it would give the best display or offer the best fruit. Is that fair? Yeah. When we arrived in Little over five years ago, uh, there was a passion flower growing by the dining room door. Oh, lovely, I hear you say. Some people have a terrible time trying to grow those. You lucky thing. That's what our gardener says. No, not ours. When we arrived, this passion flower was go- had grown through the air brick and was growing inside the dining room. <sighs> Every year, we take all of the foliage from our passion flower and we cut it back. We cut it back prayerfully to a stick. And we go, Lord, not this year, just leave it. No. Every year it it goes bananas again and it ends up back in the guttering and dare I say it, sometimes even back in the dining room. We daren't take away the trellis because heaven only knows then where it'll end up, but it'll go everywhere. When we live our lives structured and intertwined with the life and teachings of Jesus, when we invite Jesus to be our living trellis, Inspired by the Holy Spirit through prayer and worship, Jesus himself is our structure and our support. We grow in and around him, and as we do that, we get to be more like him. Anybody want to be more like Jesus? Anybody made it yet? No. When we pay daily attention to the voice of Jesus, it is unlikely we will go off grid and end up growing in the wrong direction and producing no fruit. But this is a gradual process in our Christian lives. It does not happen overnight. So for those of you who are sitting there and going, oh, I haven't made it yet, don't panic. It's a lifetime journey. God's desire to see us bear fruit is out of his love, is, get this right, His desire to see us bear fruit of his love out to the world. So the reason he wants us to bear fruit is so that the world can catch a glimpse of him. That's his only motivation to do any pruning in our lives. He doesn't want to prune us for anything other than to help us to bear better fruit. He doesn't do it to teach us a lesson. Or in humility or to play power games with us. That kind of theology is bad theology. And it's not true. He prunes us to help us to fully become the people he created us to be. Just like, like when God created you, there was a blueprint. And then as the world's gone on and it's had a bash at you, that blueprint's got marred and changed. And his desire is that through his love, that blueprint will become more and more his original plan. So what does pruning look like? Is it easy? It could be a disappointment. It could be the end of a ministry or a long-held hope. It could be God holding a mirror up to our behaviour and we are found wanting. Not to humiliate us, but to give us a reality check and the opportunity to change. Steve and I had not been married very long and I was whinging about something I can't remember what it was and I said you know that thing that I do and he said what you mean that one where you think you're always right (laughs) and he didn't mean it mean he thought I was he was finishing my sentence (laughs) and it was one of those moments like oh my goodness do I do that I'm so sorry but sometimes those moments it wasn't but it was it was lovely because it was true (laughs) 
Those moments are an opportunity for us to change. It's about God taking the sharp and scratchy bits of us and knocking them off, sanding them down. Saying, you know that thing that makes you do a knee-jerk reaction when you get cross? Actually, let me teach you patience. There's, there's other analogies that scripture offers like this, um, a refining fire. Have you heard of that in scripture? You know what happens in a refining fire? You heat the metal to a really, 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 really high temperature and then all the gunk that's in the metal rises to the surface and you scum it off. That can't be any fun, being heated to a really, really high temperature. The other one is um, the image of the potter moulding and making the clay. But these analogies, whether it's pruning or refining or moulding, all of them can feel brutal at the time, but there is purpose in them. It is about making us to be more as we were created to be. It's about taking us back to that original plan, about us becoming more like Jesus, but still fully ourselves, about demonstrating those things that are in Jesus' character that we want to be. And when that happens, we produce fruit. The Bible calls it the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Can you remember them? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When we allow God to mold us and make us and prune us and refine us, these fruits begin to flourish in our lives and they have an impact on the people around us because they can see the difference that God makes in us. So here's a question. Which of those fruits of the Holy Spirit, I'm just going to run through them again, love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Which one of those do you need more of today? It's okay. You don't need to tell me. I want you to imagine that just in front of here, we've got nine jugs of juice lined up. And each of those jugs has got, um, has got a label on that says love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. So imagine all of those. Which one are you going for? Just for a, a cup, you know, if you could have a glass of it and it, you'd get more of that fruit, which one would you go for? We did this once before, did it in an all-age service. We had to refill patience three times. <laughs> Everybody went for the patience jug. The reality is we all need to grow in all of the fruits all of the time. Because the fruits of our vine are not just of the one kind, like the apple tree or the damson tree or the grapes or whatever, But they are all of them, all nine. And it is these fruits that demonstrate to others the amazing, transforming power of God. But they only come when we root ourselves in Christ. And it is this being in Christ that allows us, it gives us the courage and the love and the hope to share Jesus with those around us. And even if we're scared about whether or not we talk about Jesus or any of those kind of things, what they see is a changed person. They see God in us and they get attracted to God because of what they see in you and me. So how do we remain in the vine? It is the vine that nurtures us, strengthens and upholds us, guides us and encourages us to fruit Jesus is the vine. How do we remain in Jesus? Remember that when we bear fruit, that is to the Father's glory. 
We bear fruit not to just make ourselves feel good, but so that other people catch a glimpse of the glory of God. So this isn't about us. It's about how we show the world that we are disciples. About showing people the impact that knowing God and being loved and forgiven and restored for them to see how that changes us. So let's try and turn it on its head to find an answer. Why bother dwelling in the vine? Do we only dwell in the vine when we need something? Do we only pray or read the Bible when we want God to do something in our lives? Do we flick through the Bible uh, trying to find an answer for something? Or do we do these things every day? Spend time with God, regardless of whether it's a good day or a bad day. Are we willing to submit to the work of God's spirit? Or do we have a misguided sense of humility or an arrogant self-sufficiency? Let me say that again. Do we have a misguided sense of humility or an arrogant self-sufficiency that says we don't need to draw spiritual strength from Jesus? We don't need, I'm sure God's far too busy with other people, much more important than me. No, it doesn't work that way. The truth is, if we hang back from spending time with God, maybe because we don't think we're worthy, or maybe just because we're feeling a bit slapdash or erratic in our Christian lives, then we could end up with no fruit and living as a dead branch. That's not God's plan. Living in Christ is an active thing, and it requires our participation. But it isn't just participation with God, but with one another. Has anybody ever seen a vine? A friend of mine's got an amazing pergola thing out of a, well, on, the, on the back patio thing. And, and they, they put lots of clematis in. Uh, and it's a fascinating place to go into in the winter. Because all the greens come off it and all you can see are all of these. And it's just like, it's like a nest. It's so intertwined, so tight. The branches in a vine, do not function in isolation. You cannot be a branch on the vine with Jesus and not encounter anybody else. doesn't work that way. Everything is intertwined. And that is a great illustration of our Christian life. We cannot live our Christian lives in isolation. The people who say they are Christians and don't go to church are just playing at it. And they're missing out on the glorious mess and chaos and fellowship and family that comes with being part of a church. Is everybody's church neat and tidy? Mine isn't. It's yours. No, there you go. Sure, in the church, there will always be people who challenge you and those that you love spending time with. But we are always interdependent on one another, whether we like it or not. When one of us is hurting, we are all hurting. When one of us is grieving, we are all grieving. When one of us is joyful, we are joyful together. So I want you to imagine that the person who presses all of your buttons, who makes the hackles rise on the back of your neck when you see them in church, I just want you to imagine that you've just found out that they've been praying for you. I want you to um, picture that naughty child who you just want to go, just sit down and be quiet. That child's just come and shared the last of their sweeties with you or flashed you a big grin. 
I want you to imagine you're in Tesco's and, and there's somebody that you know vaguely is at your church, but you don't know them very well because they sit over the other side to you. And they just look at you and say, how are you doing? And you go, it's a bad day. And they pray for you next to the chocolate biscuits. That's church. We are in a vine together as a church. It's how it works. It is messy and mad, but it is crucial for our spiritual health. So before you start criticising somebody or having a gossip, remember that they are your brother and sister in Christ. Do not say behind their back what you wouldn't say to their face in love. Treat each other with respect and remember the words of Jesus. Love one another as I have loved you. Can I just say, it doesn't say you have to like everybody. It says you have to love everybody. And actually, if somebody is pressing your buttons, you ask God to help you to love them. And you ask God to show you what he loves about them and your heart will change. Because our church family isn't just here for the joyful times or the difficult times, but for the everyday. It is a place where we all together dwell in Christ. And when we do that indwelling actively, then it is not us calling the shots, but it's Jesus in the driving seat. It is no longer I, it is Christ who lives in me. When we come to faith, when we recognise Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, when we receive forgiveness and restoration, we submit to his authority in all things. Most of us struggle, if we are drivers, to be a passenger, don't we? Some of us struggle more than many, but, it, but the reality is, if Jesus is in your life, he's in the driving seat and you are the passenger whether you like it or not. And if you keep trying to pull the wheel off him, you ain't going to get very far. Let him be the driver. When you do that, you are submitting to his authority over your life. And that is an authority that is held in love. It's not an authority as a power game or to make you feel small. It's an authority to help you to be the best person you can be. And his cross then becomes the stopping place for all of our rubbish. Because we've all got it. Lots of rubbish. The cross is where we leave our old life behind and we step beyond the cross into resurrected lives. But in that resurrection, bits of the old life will creep back in and bite us. And we have to come back to the cross all the time. Leave it, move on, and then find yourself coming back again. It's layers. But that's life. That is us, is us growing in our discipleship, recognising the need to come back to God on a daily basis. Living in the vine is about giving ourselves completely to God. Not because of anything we can do, but because of everything he has already done. And when we do that, we are changed. We change when we allow him to prune us with care and with love. When we submit to that, and it is not always easy, but this is not for our benefit, but only ever for the glory of God. Amen.